You're listening to the Prairie Podcast by Alberta One Call. Safety is always the best first step, and it's a click away. Here's your host, Mike Sullivan. Welcome to the Prairie Podcast. My guest today is Tony Sampson, the owner-operator of Salty Dog Tours, who does a lot of tours around Oak Island. It was a real treat to speak with Tony today. Our chat revolved around the stewardship that they have taken in carefully uncovering the secrets and the mysteries and the history of Oak Island. This is a show that is almost really rewriting Canadian history, and it's pulled me in, not so much because of the mystery, but because of the history. And I'm very glad to speak with Tony today about that. Tony, welcome to the Prairie Podcast. It's excellent to have you on our program today. On I don't know if we can say program, I'm kind of old school, but uh, excellent to have you on the podcast today. My pleasure, Mike. This is uh, it's a real treat. And the last podcast, we, uh, we talked to some folks across Canada who not necessarily engaged in digging activity, which is or safety, but there is definitely a safety element to what we talked about. Um, and this is a bit of a continuation with that. Now, Tony, you maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and what it is that, that you do. Well, uh, Mike, it all started for me basically when I was a young boy and my mother uh, bought me a book called Treasures Beneath the Sea. And in that book was a line that said, in all the banks and all the vaults in all the world, there's not as much gold, drills and treasure as there is on the bottom of the ocean. So from six years old, I was going to be a diver and a treasure hunter. And so I joined the military. And from there, I went to police force, then fire, um, paramedic, um, and offshore survival. So my whole life has either been in one uniform or another. And a lot of it has surrounded safety as well. And so my wife just says, I like to collect uniforms. But <laughs> in reality, obviously, it's um, my whole life has been you know, one of, of serving one way or another. So your, your role, I mean, what you've done for a living has taken you all over the world and you've seen a variety of things, obviously. And uh, but also even from a safety perspective, I'm sure you've seen where Canada is relative to other parts of the world. Where do you feel safest where you're working? Obviously, you bring your own safety with you, but the people, the crew you're working with, where do you feel safest? Um, well, I'm very fortunate to, um, to be working with a great crew, and um, I've been with the, um, the TV show Curse of Oak Island for nine years, and um, obviously, they're very safety conscious. Uh, and um, the other company I used to work for was a company called Falk, which is now called Rely on New Tech. And pretty much their whole focus is safety um, in the oil patch and in the offshore industry. So not just the oil patch, but also military and um, with anybody that flies offshore. My background is a lot of uh, pipeline uh, work in Canada. And uh, as an um, inspector with the former National Energy Board, which is now the Canada Energy Regulator, and I do have a bit of a Nova Scotia connection. I was involved in the construction of the Maritimes and Northeast Pipeline as an inspector a number of years ago, back around 2000, I guess, 1998 to 2000. I, I might be biased, but I don't think anybody does it better than, than Canada when it comes to oil and gas and pipelines. And, you know, even watching the show, I'm a huge fan of the, of the Oak Island show. 
And my wife and I, we watch it every week. And, um, and we've seen, you know, the, the safety element evolve over the seasons. And, uh, and now this season, it's only been one or two episodes, I think, but this season with the, um, uh, the government of Canada getting even more involved and uh, putting more restrictions on. And uh, that's got to be challenging, but it's a reality that, you know, in your line of work um, uh, that you face every day, those restrictions are there to protect yourselves and protect the environment and protect heritage. And uh, that can be challenging, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's something that we have to work with. Have you been involved in uh, in the forwarding or increased best practices in, in, in safety in your area? Well, over the years, obviously, things have changed. I mean, if you go back, you know, 30, 40 years, you know, to, to throw a diver in the water, things have changed, you know, dramatically since then. You know, now with occupational health and safety um, and, uh, you know, at West with um, WCB and that, you know, we're talking three-man dive teams for scuba and four-man dive teams for surface supply. And so, I mean, every year, every time there's an incident or an accident, things get reviewed and, um, you know, uh, safety's looked at from a different angle and um, new things implemented to ensure that happens. And so with that, um, it's, you know, it's something you work with and uh, you just have to adapt, you know, to the new rules. And um, it's like anything, you know, there's no blanket across that says, you know, this is the best thing for everything. Because when you're jumping into an unknown environment, what might be a, a great idea for surface supply in zero current is not a good idea for scuba in a high current zone. And in a high current zone, you, 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 you probably wouldn't use surface supply. You know, so you would be back to the scuba side again. So there's always different horses for different courses. So you're constantly learning. I mean, you cannot stay stagnant in what you in what you're the line of work that you're in. And from the safety perspective, it's a constant evolution. Would that be right? That's definitely right, Mike. And that's the interesting thing with um with diving is it's um it's one of those things where if something goes wrong, I guess it's it's similar to space. You know, you don't have you don't have the um you know, <laughs> the option to say, okay, all stop, I'm getting out of the hole now. You know, if something goes wrong on the bottom, nine times out of ten, you have to stay there and fix it on the bottom. You know, and for those who do watch the show, The Curse of Oak Island, um, and you see the people who are on the surface. And whether you're going into the open water or down into one of these caissons that we've seen, um, the, the, the concern of the people who are on the, on the surface is, is very, very real. I mean, it's, yes, it's TV and, uh, but you, they don't even, the producers don't even have to enhance that because it is very real. And I like how you likened it to, uh, you know, to being in space. You're alone there. And uh, I mean, I've never done any diving at all, and it, it intrigues me, but it also terrifies me. Yeah, it's actually very freeing, Mike. Um, when you when you get into the water, some people go, "Oh my God, it's so claustrophobic," but it's not. It's 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 like space. You know, you 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 get into the water, and the water basically moves through your body. You become one with the ocean, 
and you can feel every little piece of current as you sway and move along the bottom. And it's when you try and fight it, you know, if you try and fight the current, then that's when your um, your, your uh, breathing rate goes up, and uh, you you're really trying to fight nature. It doesn't work. You know, you're better to to feel the way it goes and to to work with it to really adapt, I guess, to the surrounding. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about you know the, the show that's so popular right now. I mean, it's not the only thing you've done, but it's somewhat you know it's current, and people are are learning about you because of the show. Um, you said you've been working with the producers and now the show for about nine years. Correct. How did that start? Um, it started pretty much by accident, Mike. And, um, the, the show was here, Curse of Oak Island in Nova Scotia. And um, Marty and Alex uh, wanted to dive the northern side of the island by Smith's Cove. And um, they had uh, rented some dive gear and some of it wasn't working properly. And so one of the producers knew me, so she called me up. And uh, she said, look, can you come down and fix this? And I went down and Marty just happened to be my size exactly. So I put Marty in a set of my gear and um, we went out there and we, we did the dives. And then the following day, I was fortunate enough um, when the producer said, oh, look, we'll, we'll get new gear. And Marty's like, nope, we're going to use this guy. So fortunately for me, I've, I've <laughs> been with them ever since. And they seem like, I mean, really interesting group of guys. I mean, not just the, the Lagina brothers and the, you know, the, the family, but uh, Gary Drayton and, and others on the show. I mean, they, they seem like very interesting people and very genuine. They come across as very genuine and what you see is what you get. Is that really what we're seeing? It, it is, Mike. Um, they are a fantastic team. And it's not like some of the other reality TV series where, you know, it's all about the drama or all about backstabbing or, you know, like getting at each other, picking on each other. You know, everybody here is actually friends. You know, we, we go out and have a beer on a Friday night, you know. <laughs> so it's it's awesome. And, and Rick... Rick is probably the nicest human being I've ever met. He's a fantastic guy. He really is. He's great sense of compassion, great sense of caring for everybody. He's he's got a huge heart. He's marvelous. And my, I mean, my daughter's eleven, and so she's growing up with this show. So she's growing up with Uncle Rick and Uncle Marty, Uncle Gary, and Uncle Jack, and you know, um, it's it's fantastic. It's a very it's very apparent. That it it uh, it's genuine, and that uh, it's such a rarity when you see that. Uh, but it is apparent now. Marty Lagina, he's also he's a very accomplished guy beyond uh, Oak Island, but he's a heavy equipment operator. Um, he he's one of these guys, almost like a Renaissance man. Does a does a, a little bit of everything, it seems, and he's good at it, all of it. And uh, it, watching him, and again the evolution of the series and the evolution towards safety. Um, I have to believe that he's probably been at the center of a lot of that. Yeah, Marty, Marty is great at everything he does. Um, and he's, he's sort of got that Midas touch as well. Everything he touches turns to gold. So it's, it's fantastic. Well, let's hope that works out. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, yeah. So now on the series and on the show, I mean, you've, you've done a series of dives and... Uh, the whole Atlantic area, as I think they call it, the uh, a, a graveyard, really, of, of ships. What are some of the things that you've come across that really was a 
a stunning moment for you. The whole area, Mike, is, um, as you said, it's a graveyard of the Atlantic. So there's, there's shipwrecks everywhere. I mean, Cape Breton, Newfoundland, and all down the, um, the coast here. You can't spit in the ocean and not hit a shipwreck. They are everywhere. And um, it's the history about not just Nova Scotia, but world history is lying on the bottom of the ocean, just like that book that my mother gave me years ago. And so one of my favorite shipwrecks out here um, is a, a shipwreck called the SS Atlantic. And so I don't know if you've ever heard of her. No, I haven't. You've heard of the Titanic, Mike? Oh, yes, of course, yeah. yeah but she was White Star Line, and so was the Atlantic. So she was a sister ship to the Titanic. But she sank 40 years before the Titanic. So she sank on April Fool's Day, 1873. And she's off the coast of um, by Terence Bay, just south of Halifax. And the sad thing, when that ship went down, um, pretty much all the women and children were lost in that wreck. And uh, it's, it was a tragedy, a horrible tragedy, but um, it's a, it was a beautiful ship. So when you get a chance, just Google her, the SS Atlantic. She was the last of the sailing ships and the first of the steamships. So when you dive on her, she starts in about eight feet of water because she ran up onto the rocks in Terence Bay at about three o'clock in the morning on April Fool's Day. And so when she snapped in half, the stern section went below the waves. And that stern section was the part that was carrying the married men, the women and the children. So as it snapped and started to descend below the water, the icy cold Atlantic flooded in and stole their last breaths away like a, like a white witch as she descended to the bottom. It's, it really is a, a tearjerker. But it's just one of thousands of wrecks around this coast. You know, and that one, obviously, because she's White Star Line, a lot more people know of her, people that are interested in the White Star Line. The history that's being rewritten here, um, in, and obviously the, the interest by the, the federal government, uh, is they're acknowledging that, I think, by their in, engagement and uh, you know, putting the brakes on, on, uh, on the, the speed, perhaps, of discovery, uh, on the island and obviously on the offshore, that has to be challenging to work with that. But when you consider, again, all the stories that are attached to that and the history that this could be changing to Canadian history, that that's not being lost on anyone, I don't think. No, it's a very good point, Mike. I mean, when you talk about European settlement here, you know, um, if you believe the old stories that Columbus found the North Americas when he sailed the ocean blue in 1492, we, we know that's not true. You know, we had, um, we had Vikings here, Leastown Meadows up in Newfoundland. We had a Viking settlement that dated back to the 950s, you know, um, 990s out here. And it's not like they came all that way, jumped off, went for a pee and left. You know, it was a, a settlement to which they came back year after year. Um, the Basque fishing fleet as well. Uh, the Portuguese were here in the um, probably the late uh, mid to late 1400s, 1500s. Uh, you had the pirates, obviously. You know, guys like Peter Easton, you know, Drake, um, Phipps, all those sort of guys up and down this coast as well. The Spanish, um, you know, it, it really was a, a corridor of which they used. What do you think happened? On Oak Island. I mean, you know, one of the, the big things we work towards here again, and, you know, the know what's below before you dig. And um, we don't know what's below. We have some ideas. Um, we have some really good ideas. 
But what do you think? You've been there for a while. Oh, it's that's a really hard one, Mike. I mean, everything that's found on Oak Island, it sort of doesn't answer so many questions, but just poses more. You know, so you, you find you know remnants of, um, say, you know, British military buttons. You know, so people say, oh well, it could be the British military. But if it was, you would expect to find more things with the broadhead arrow mark on it, the king's mark. So even things, every pickaxe, shovel, spade, um, axle of, of uh, cannon carriage, everything had that broadhead arrow mark on. And we're not finding enough of those to, to make me think that it was, was British. Um, the other thing, some say pirates, and others will say, well, pirates weren't um, disciplined enough. And so guys like um, Kidd and uh, Bartholomew Roberts, Ned Lowe, Blackbeard, you know, they weren't. But when you look at guys like Sir Francis Drake, Sir Walter Riley, Peter Easton, Phipps, you know, those guys not only had the um, backing of the regent, Queen Elizabeth I, but they had the love of their men as well. So they were educated and um, skilled sailors. So those guys could do something like that. So I like the idea of pirates. I also like the idea of Knights Templar. I mean, if you go back to um, 1307, when um, King Philip of France uh, ostracized the Templars and rounded some of them up and tortured them, put them to death and confiscated their assets. So he did that in league with Pope Clement. And so some say that, uh, you know, with the expulsion from France or the rounding up of the Templars, that they left and went to different parts of the world. So you've got the Rosalind Chapel in Scotland, you know, um, the Temple Chapel in London. Some went to Portugal because the King of Portugal favoured the Templars. Some became mercenaries and some went back to the Holy Land because, you know, they really did believe they were God's soldiers. So pirates, Templars, you know, I like, I like both of those ideas. And, um, you know, and then you couldn't have a mystery like this without somebody saying it was the aliens that did it. So <laughs> maybe they brought Bigfoot <laughs> along for the ride. Who knows? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> you got to wonder, right? I, I don't think it's that. But at this point, it could be anything. The, the, the interesting part of all this, again, is just the mystery. Um, but when you really get deeper into it, it's the mystery, but also the history. And that, I think, is what is pulling a lot more people in than ever before. And I actually really like uh, how the gentlemen, the Lagina brothers, uh, you know, watching everybody, uh, the genuine factor of it, um, it's really, it's, it's, it's a great testament to moving the safety needle forward, um, moving the environmental stewardship forward. Uh, I, I really appreciate that. And probably something that doesn't get discussed at all or even noticed, but I am noticing it and I'm guessing others are too. I hope they are. Do you feel that? Do you see that? Oh, definitely. It's, you know, um, the, Marty and Rick and the team, they, they love using local as well. So there's so many local stories um, about, you know, people that have set up their own businesses, you know, um, you know, the Airbnbs, the hotels that are doing so well because of tourism, the little restaurants. I mean, my other business is um, I have a charter boat business that takes guests around Oak Island. And I wouldn't have that business if it wasn't for the show and, and, and Oak Island itself. And so, you know, the tourists come up. And as you said, Mike, the, the walking tours of the island usually sell out in three minutes for the whole year. 
And so once they've got their walking tour, they usually book my boat tour and that way they get both perspectives, the land and the um, ocean perspective. But, um, you know, like Mary, she does a lot of the catering for the show and, you know, she's a lovely lady, lovely girl. And um, now she's um, opening her um, own restaurant in, on December the 1st. And again, you know, because of the support and, and the, um, and the camaraderie of the show, she's been able to do that. And so there's all kinds of stories like that. So it, it's fantastic. It, it really is. And the tourism up here, anywhere you go in the world now, if you say Oak Island you know, or Nova Scotia, they'll say Oak Island. And so it really is putting Nova Scotia on the map. And it's, I have people out on my boat from as far away as the Orkney Islands in Scotland all the way down to New Zealand. So it is worldwide. It truly is. And I really want to commend you and, and everybody you're working with for doing it in such a, as I said, a, a steward, the stewardship you have of the, of, of, of the dig and the stewardship of, of the culture and recognizing how important it is to preserve that that history as you move forward, uncovering layer by layer by layer, and it's uh, it's a testament to to everybody on the show. It's a testament to recognizing how important that is, and uh, I sincerely appreciate it. And when we look at you know the 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 work that we do with utility safety partners, it there is that stewardship to safety. We there is that stewardship of moving forward but moving forward carefully yeah i mean obviously safety you know is 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 the utmost importance on the island as well no nobody wants anybody to get hurt you know it's you know there's there's so many things that could go wrong when you're dealing with that amount of machinery you know um not yeah you know, not only are you dealing with heavy machinery but you're dealing with you know compressed air you're dealing with with pipelines you're dealing with um you know pressurized systems you're dealing with you know scuba diving gear you know recompression chambers hydraulics every you know all kinds of manner of things you know right down from hammer and nails you know chainsaws to to state of the art equipment and you've probably seen obviously with the the size of the caissons that go down even things like you know, in season one, you know, or two, when when you were looking at the dye test uh, that was done in the Money Pit and Ten X area, you know, this is how quickly technology is moving. You know, to view that, and and, and that was only you know a decade ago. You know, a helicopter was put in the air, where now you just throw up a drone. Yeah, and then you know, you know, you look at the scanning on the bottom of the ocean now. You know, with multi-beam um, magnetometers, uh, side scan sonar. You know, again, some of that stuff. The images we're getting back now you know, were a dream a decade ago. Well, the seismic work that was done by Eagle Canada, uh, which in fact their office is across the street from mine, believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, one of my friends, Mike Doyle, was worked in their office for some time with the Canadian Association of Geophysical Contractors. The work that they've done and, you know, the, the discovering things such as that what appears to be a ship buried in the, uh, in the, uh, in the swamp, um, even that, the work that they've done at that time or a couple of seasons ago to today is so much better even today. Yeah, no, definitely, Mike. And, you know, again, you know, that threw up a bunch more questions as well. You know, it was like, okay, you know, is that really a ship in the swamp? And if it is, you know, whose is it? 
you know, does it date back to the um, 14, 1500s or you know, early 1600s? Could it be those pirates? Could it be, you know, uh, Sir Francis Drake, Riley um, or Peter Easton? And others go, no, it's, it's Viking, you know, and it dates back prior to that. And um, I think there was a TV show, a Netflix movie a little while back called The Dig, and if you haven't seen it, get it out. It's a, it's a great show. And it's a true story about a Viking ship that was found inland in England in World War II. Yes, I have seen that yeah. one. Yeah, excellent. And, you know, so, so that's a, th- a theory people have now as well. They're like, oh, my God, it's, it's you know, a Viking ship. They were in Newfoundland and they were in Nova Scotia. So, <laughs> and again, who knows? Yeah. And my roots bring me back to Newfoundland. Um, my Sullivan, obviously, it's maritime, very – and. Irish, Scottish, and uh, a place called in Newfoundland called Pooch Cove, which was the landing place of the first Sullivans in North America, and my roots go right back to there. So I, you know, there's an attraction I have that is very real to Atlantic Canada, and uh, I, I'm, as I said before, I'm looking forward to getting out there. And again, I haven't been there for a number of years now, um, and just seeing it through a different lens than I have before. And, uh, you know, I, I'd be more of a tourist now and maybe an educated tourist rather than just uh, somebody who's out there working and seeing through it through that lens. But, Tony, I wanted to thank you again for, for joining me today. This has been – well, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> it's been very easy to talk to you all day. <laughs> um, but I really appreciate you having – taking the time to, uh, to spend with us today and uh, talk a little bit about knowing what's below – but really the, the safety elements of, of, uh, of uncovering layer by layer um, the secrets that lie beneath the surface. Thank you so much, Mike. It's just been a pleasure. And um, yeah, God willing, I'll, um, I'll be uh, working there for another 10 years. <laughs> well, I hope they find something in the next 10 years that really, you know, blows it all out of the water, uh, um, so to speak. Yeah, well, you'd probably see a, you'll see a picture of me um, sitting in a bar in Bermuda, drinking a big dark and stormy <laughs> rum with a big gold chain around my neck. <laughs> I'll find you. <laughs> the first round's on you. You got it, Mike. <laughs> That's going to wrap things up for this episode of the Prairie Podcast. I'd like to thank our producers, Podcast That Pop. And if you'd like to send a message to my guest, Tony Sampson, we provided a link to their website and an email address in the show notes. If you have an idea for an episode, please email us at info at utilitysafety.ca with Prairie Podcast in the subject line. If you like what you've heard, we're hoping you choose to subscribe to Prairie Podcast and receive first notification of a new episode. We'd also love it if you gave us a rating on whatever directory you're listening on, or a written review. More important than anything else, if you're listening on your phone, you can push that little link that lets you share the episode with just one friend. Please follow us on Twitter at utility underscore safety. I'm Mike Sullivan, the president of Utility Safety Partners. Whatever you're doing next in your day, stay safe, and remember, One click costs you nothing. Not clicking could cost you everything.